Well, good morning, all of those who are listening online and those of you who are in the uh, congregation here today. The good news of Jesus is about second chances, isn't it? C.S. Lewis once said it this way, you can't go back and change the beginning, but you start where you are and change the ending. And I pray that this is the story of your life, or you'll at least understand the possibility of that as a story for your life. That by the power of God, we are continuing to change, and through God's power, writing a God-centered ending. Now, aren't you grateful for second chances? So many of us, and I know in this room and those listening online, myself included, understand very personally the need for second chances. But you see, everyone since Adam is messed up, and like no one else, Jesus offers a second chance. That is, in essence, the good news of the gospel. That He is the perfect substitute for our sins, our crimes, our guilt, our failure. You see, so many of us have been given a second chance and uh, have made good on it. And I see a church that is filled with people who have been given a second chance and said, I'm going to write the ending that God desires. You've received the gift of God, the gift of grace, and have chosen a life that honors God. And I just want to congratulate you this morning. I, I want to thank you. I want to applaud you. I respect you. I appreciate you. I want to encourage you to keep it going. God has more to your story. This morning, for just a few minutes, I want to imagine what it would be like to be imprisoned, to be a prisoner, to be convicted of a crime, to find yourself locked up, to have a record that's permanent, to stand in need of a second chance, spiritually, of course, and the chance, like C.S. Lewis said, to change the ending of your story, and imagine finding yourself then set free, released to reorient back into society. And so while there's a spiritual side to this story, there's also a community and societal side. First of all, how does the God of heaven treat you? Well, Psalm 69 and verse 33 says this, the Lord hears the need, hears the needy, and does not despise his captive people. You see, Joseph was imprisoned in Egypt, and the children of Israel knew a prison of sorts as they were slaves in Egypt for many, many generations. And then during the Assyrian and Babylonian captivities, again, God's chosen people, the Israelites, were prisoners, Daniel maybe being the most famous. And so I ask myself, is there anywhere in Scripture where God is indifferent 
to the prisoner. I thought again about Psalm 68 in verses 5 and 6 that says this, A father to the fatherless, talking about our God, a defender of widows, is God in His holy dwelling. The text goes on. God sets the lonely in families. He leads out the prisoners with singing. But the rebellious live in sun-scorched land. Isn't it a picture of God's manner? Think of the great work that Jesus has done when He came for us. And in fact, when He began His ministry in Luke chapter 4 and verses 18 and 19, as He begins to quote from Isaiah 61, I believe it is, and He has said, He says, He has sent me to what? Proclaim freedom for the prisoners and recovery of sight for the blind to set the oppressed free, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. So my question is, does this sound like a God who has forgotten or who is indifferent or overlooks those who are locked up? Or just the opposite? Jesus' mission is to set the imprisoned free. Why? Because because. The story of Scripture is that God is in the restoration business. He is trying to help us rewrite a new ending to the story. And the consistency of Scripture regarding these second chances, it comes home brilliantly. Remember when Jesus is hanging on the cross with a criminal on his left and one on his right in Luke chapter 23 when one of the criminals asks Jesus to remember him and Jesus says to him, you know, you could finish the rest of the story, that he, the criminal, will be with him in paradise. You see, Jesus showed no limits on redemption. He saw the image of God in every human. He saw the potential for second chances in those that were next to Him even while He was experiencing His own execution. This is the God we serve. Now, I believe that uh, most of us, if not all of us, want to see justice. We want things to be fair. And, and we see the familiar arc of crime and justice in children's stories and in children's in the games we play, in uh, popular TV shows. And we want to see that there are appropriate consequences for wrongful actions, that justice plays itself out. And so the societal narrative goes something like this. If you commit a crime, you will be arrested and tried and sent to prison for a period of time, and justice has been served. So far, so good. And that's usually where the story ends. That's where the credits roll. But is that really the end? Is that the end from a societal point of view? I want to suggest no, because offenders get out, and then what? 
Is that the end from a biblical point of view? And I want to say, no, of course not. No. Let's think about the difficulty for just a few minutes of starting over. If you're one of those offenders who has now been released back into society, and you're trying, even through God's help, to rewrite your ending. Let's say you've served your sentence. And, and, and for some, you've come to terms with your own sin and guilt under God and have been forgiven. Come to Christ even while in prison. And you understand that while being forgiven is costly, it has cost Jesus His blood that God fully forgives. But now what about society? Does society forgive? What about the church? Going from being incarcerated to a productive member of society is a mountain to climb. Now, this was illustrated uh, very, very powerfully in the musical Les Miserables, one of my all-time favorite favorites. And there were men who are in prison, and they're singing the following lines. Look down, look down. Don't look them in the eye. Look down, look down. You're in here until you die. And then while Jean Valjean, prisoner number 24601, is about to get released, Javert, a police inspector, and Jean Valjean have an exchange. And Javert says this, Now prisoner 24601, your time is up, and your parole's begun. You know what that means. And Jean Valjean says, yes, it means I'm free. And Javert says, no. Follow to the letter your itinerary. The badge of shame you'll show until you die. Victor Hugo wrote the novel on which the musical is based in 1862. And I want to suggest that in many ways the situation remains essentially the same today. Often there are massive barriers that prevent those who have been released from prison, even those who have found Christ, from becoming contributing members to their families and to society and to the church. Now let me give you a hard statistic. Approximately 70 million Americans, 70 millions, million, one in three adults have a criminal record. As many Americans have criminal records as have college diplomas. When I read that, I said, what? I was so stunned, I had to look further, and I said, this, doesn't, this is not making sense. This is not comprehending. And, and, and I, as I dug deeper, I found that not all who have a record have a conviction. The number of convictions is only about two-thirds of the 70 million. But still, that is a stunning number. 
you see one out of 17 white boys, one out of six Latino boys, and one out of three black boys can expect to be sentenced to prison. And some of these have come to grips with their crimes, but still their record stays with them forever. Those who work with prisoners have dubbed this situation the second prison. Men and women return home after paying their debt to society and they run into the second prison. The second prison means that a criminal conviction, no matter how far in your past, is something that you can never really get behind you. This does not sound like the ideals of the gospel and the rewriting of the end of the story that I would have imagined. Though many with a criminal conviction have changed their values and mindsets while they were incarcerated, their record continues to limit their access to education, to jobs, to housing, to their ability to vote, and other things they need for a full and productive life. Once you are a felon, you can never not be one. And when you combine this with a widespread social stigma, along with this, more than 44,000 documented legal restrictions on people with a conviction. Some of those legal restrictions make absolute sense, but others make very little sense at all. And this adds to recidivism, it can jeopardize public safety, and it makes it so much harder for these folks to change the ending of their story. Now, we can thank God that there are so many men and women who work with prisoners and who help in that transition. And there are ministries to prisoners. One organization that stands out is Prison Fellowship. And it was started years ago by Charles Colson. And some of you might remember the name of, uh, of Chuck Colson or Charles Colson. He wrote quite a few books. He was known as the Hatchet Man in the Nixon White House. And so he was in the time of Watergate. And it was said of him that he would be willing to run over his own grandmother to achieve his desired political ends. And after he became a Christian, he pleaded guilty to obstruction of justice and he spent seven months in a federal prison camp. And he took his newfound faith experience and his experiences behind bars and he founded Prison Fellowship, which has spread across the country and around the world. And I'm saying this because as a, as a believer in the gospel, Chuck Colson saw both the importance of a spiritual 
connection to God, a walk with God, and being guided by the Bible and by Scripture, but also the importance of helping those in prison and those who were then released from prison and their families to become again productive members of society and of the church. So I've borrowed many of my thoughts today from the Prison Fellowship website and the work done by this organization. And in order to address this incongruence between being free from bars and being faced with a second prison, Prison Fellowship, in fact, established the month of April as a second chance month. And so we're just taking this one Sunday to draw attention to this important ministry. To pray and to act on behalf of these 70 million Americans with a record. To be a little more practical, I want to just suggest five opportunities, and I'm not saying that these are the absolute uh, complete list, because they're both short-term needs that, uh, that offenders have and those who have been recently released, and there are long-term needs. And these are not problems that are easily resolved or easily solved, and I understand that. So, but I just want to uh, provoke us, challenge us for just a couple of minutes to think about what you might be able to do individually, what we might be able to do collectively as the body of Christ to better minister to this population. And uh, let me just say it this way. Number one, if, if the McKnight Crossings Church, if MX Church could be a welcoming home for offenders and their families, a welcoming home, that would be a victory. That would be a one, that we could be a wonderful place of acceptance and, and prayer and encouragement. We can do that, can't we? To, number two, to provide mentors to assist, assist with re-entry. And I understand that it's not going to be everybody in the congregation, but what if we could, we could garner together from this, from this congregation some mentors to help with employment assistance? Because offenders have a hard time finding access to jobs due to their record, due to the felony charge. Imagine being a uh, being behind bars for a good part of your life. Maybe you went even in, uh, as so many do, as a teenager. And now you're coming out uh, many years later and you're trying to figure out the world. And so how do you use technology? How do you use email? Uh, do, even, even knowing how to attach a document to an email is something that we've learned, most of us at least, over time that uh, others could, if you could just come alongside and help. Knowing how to do a job search on Google or to find job websites and apply online. Almost all the jobs today are, are found online unless you have some kind of personal connection. And then how to follow up on uh, what, what really is required in terms of follow-up in order to secure a position. To assist with access to health care. For instance, finding a doctor who takes low-income patients. 
or applying for a Medicaid card or to learn how to keep up with prescriptions. Things that we might take for granted that could be such a help to those who are trying to reorient their lives. And I understand that we cannot solve every problem, but can we be knowledgeable? Can we have the knowledge base in finding support for uh, Narcotics Anonymous or AA or Cocaine Anonymous support groups? Number four, how about being one who could provide transportation for offenders? And even more, in helping them learn to orient themselves to public transportation routes. That in and of itself can be quite intimidating. And if they might not have been from this area, just a, a little bit over their head. To get to parole office meetings or medical appointments or job interviews. How do we take public transportation? Now, Brett Ferguson, who has uh, worked in a federal prison in uh, his, uh, in his uh, medical position for years now, he has a dream that he would love to see set up, and so I'm simply laying this out as, uh, as to just in terms of uh, uh, sparking your imagination for what we might be able to do, something that I never would have considered or even thought of. But he suggests that we have a fund available for tattoo removal that we've identified a local dermatology group or at least have access to a practice that offers these kinds of services to people who might need them. You see, my message this morning is simple. Our God is a God of second chances. And again, that C.S. Lewis quote, you can't go back and change the beginning. But you start where you are and change the ending. And so first, I ask you today, is this the day for you, for you personally, to respond to God's invitation to begin again? Maybe it requires the repentance, the moving away, the turning away from parts of your old life. Maybe it includes putting your trust in the Lord Jesus and what He has done and is doing for you. Maybe it includes coming to Christ in baptism and participating in putting away the old life and being joined to Christ in the new life, second chance life. And then secondly, can we as the church of God, we as people who want to do the things that Jesus would do, we as ones who want to be like our Father in heaven, could we be ones who extend second chances? To others. I believe that would be pleasing to our Father for us to love as He loves.
May your week in the Lord Jesus be blessed.